Jamie Lewis, and this is Consumed, candid conversations about life and flavor. Before we get into it, I want to share a bit about our sponsor. The inaugural season of Consumed is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine. Now in its 10th year, Slow Life Magazine celebrates the culture of San Luis Obispo with features on the people, influences, products, and businesses that keep this city moving and shaking. I've written the food column in Slow Life Magazine since 2015, where I cover restaurants and food trends here. And over the years, I've seen how devoted Slow Life Magazine's following really is. Readers love learning about their community and weaving into the fabric of this very special place. To learn how you can subscribe, be sure to visit their website at slowlifemagazine.com. Talking with Jensen Lorenzen, it's tough not to get inspired. Based out of San Luis Obispo, he and his wife Grace started a consumer-supported agriculture venture called Larder Meat Co., which brings a curated box of locally sourced meat, recipes, and other goodies to subscribers' doors. But before that, he and Grace owned the Cass House restaurant in Cayucas, where he was chef and she ran the attached luxury inn. But even before that, they owned a beloved bistro in Los Osos called Papillon, which they launched in their mid-twenties. A dyed-in-the-wool entrepreneur, Jensen pushes himself harder than most people I know to stay sharp and produce excellence in whatever form his task takes, whether that's competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or writing about the effects of constant stress on a chef's mental health. I love our rambling conversations, and I always feel like I stand a little taller after talking with him. I hope you do too. Okay, here's Jensen. Okay, so um, I'm trying to think. The first time I met you, I ate at the Cass House a few times, mm-hmm. but I don't think I ever saw you. I know Probably I not. saw Grace. <laughs> yeah, I know that I saw her. Um, she's hard to miss. She's amazing. Um, but I think the first time we met was at Slow Provisions because you were getting them set up, yep. those guys, and and I, was, I think I was eating there. I was also helping them with some of their um, website copy and some, I think maybe they introduced us mm-hmm. and, um, the cast house had been closed for a maybe, year, maybe a year. Yeah. 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 And so, and then we, I felt like we connected because we, um, I mean, we both obviously care about food, but I felt like there was more of like a philosophical discussion that, that yeah, cropped of, up. I seem to remember that. Yeah. yeah. And there aren't a lot of people, um, or maybe I just haven't uncovered them people who think about uh, not just where food comes from, but what it means and how we internalize it and how, you know, how it brings up issues of class and, um, and privilege and all of Mm -hmm. that. And I felt like we talked about that pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So can you describe, I mean, I think I know the trajectory of how you were raised, but tell me, where'd you grow up? Yeah. I grew up in Arcadia in Southern California um, and I wouldn't say that I came from a food family per se, but we, like, it was a traditional family. So like we, we almost always had dinner together. Mm. Um, my, both my parents cooked, uh, but they only cooked really well, like on holidays, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, standard. Like, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Other, other than that, it was like, you know, chicken breast five times a week and canned <laughs> lima, lima beans. Um, and the, the funny thing about that is, 
like that we always had vegetables but it was that it was like canned vegetables or yeah. like frozen, frozen frozen peas that kind of thing peas and corn together yeah maybe even carrots in but there. I, in like in the 80s i think that was pretty progressive you know it was. it was like before there was farmers markets everywhere yeah so my parents were actually like what they you know considered feeding us you know wholesome whole food yeah you grew um, up in the 80s i mean would you say that that was i mean like... I, was, I was born in 80 so okay. yeah. yeah i mean like I guess I'm a 90s kid technically, but mm. I remember a lot yeah. from the 80s. You know? Cassette tapes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cassettes. Yeah. Beta. Yeah. Yeah. All that. Um, uh, I think, but I think mostly um, I, I kind of found food and the culture of food through um, my appreciation of outdoors and hunting and, and fishing and camping um, because a major part of that is, you know, you go out and you harvest or whatever it is mm-hmm. and then you come back and you prepare it and then or you, you know, you prep it and then, you know, eventually everybody gets to sit around and eat it. And so that was, I, I think that was the most fundamental thing that shaped my perspective of what food can do. Who taught you? I mean, who'd you go my, hunting? My with? dad. Okay. Yeah. You know, my dad, my, my uncle, um, we were just, we we're just always an out, outdoor family, mm-hmm. you know, um, camping was always something we looked forward to like every holiday. Not not every holiday, but like it was a major part of the summer, mm-hmm. spring breaks. You know, we'd we'd go somewhere, uh, and then once I was old enough to like actually carry a gun and hunt, you know, I, I did. Um, did you guys go up into like in the mountains east of L.A. and that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot in Mojave. Mm-hmm. Uh, where else? I want to say San Bernardino Mountains. Yeah, it's been a while. That's what I, I'm picturing I think, though. Um, and then uh, some my. My great uncle had a ranch somewhere in Bakersfield and it was like a kind of like a small game preserve. It was like his own private thing, you <laughs> yeah. know. So we'd we'd shoot ducks out there and um there was some like pheasant pheasant hunting on his property. Um so that I think that like the combination of just always eating meals together and the kind of the the ceremony of going out, getting something, bringing it back, preparing it, and then actually sitting down to eat that thing. Mm-hmm. Like those things I think is what what kind of made me focus on the the ceremony of, of food? Yeah, what's your dad like? Um, he's God. That's a, that's a big question. Is it? Well, I know. Ask anybody what their dad is like. It's a big yeah. question. Yeah. Um, he's a large, intimidating man. <laughs> 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 yeah, he's a former police officer. Um, LAPD. Oh, I think he was Alhambra. Mm. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. in Glendale. Yeah. Um, close enough. Yeah. Uh, not, not a career police officer, but he, he was kind of in and out. He was the reserves for a long time. Also, um, he, he was a salesman. It was, it was his day job. Um, his dad was a Marine. So he had, he had a pretty hard family, family life. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like some of that translated into our family, but only the good stuff, fortunately, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he taught me a strong work, work ethic. He taught me the importance of exercise um, obviously the, you know, the connection to the outdoors, I think that was all kind of coming from, from his dad, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, in a, an appreciation for, but a heavy respect for, for firearms, you know, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. something that I, I don't have in common with a lot of people anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in slow. Yeah. For, I mean, for obvious reasons, I totally get it. Um, yeah. but that was, you know, that was a major part of, of our life. Um, and I think it all came from there, from his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Well, what's your he, mom like? Um, she's like the classic, like, uh, product of the f- suburban fifties in LA. You know, she's, <laughs> yeah. she's a character. Um, <clears throat> she was a, uh, 
what do you call it? A, she worked in a law firm. She was a, a legal. A paralegal. Paralegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a long time. So they both worked. That's another thing. They both worked full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that also influenced, you know, what 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 I do now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. f- like really wholesome upbringing. Southern yeah. California is great. Yeah. Um, but you wound up up here. Yeah. Um, we came up my, my grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, uh, retired here. Mm. And so we always visited. <clears throat> um, and I think my, my parents wanted to move here for a long time, but they're just, you know, I think similar to now there wasn't a ton of opportunity. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a hard place to, to, to find work. Um, but the, uh, I think the, in like 90, I think it was 92 or 93, the year of the LA riots, my, mm-hmm. my parents were finally just like over yeah. Southern California. There was a lot of stuff leading up to that, but I think that was kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yep. Um, and then we just, just made the move. Neither of my parents had work. So they just, you know, packed up, sold their house, made enough to buy a new one. Um, and just both moved and found work, but totally different careers. I think that's know? a pretty standard story for people moving from Bay Area and LA is yeah. like, there is a work here. I've heard it here. so many times at this point. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not surprised to hear it anymore. Yeah. You know? That's the story of my family. I mean, it's, yeah, it's standard. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, my dad grew up in, um, Southgate, uh, near like Downey. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think couldn't get out of there fast enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and he met my mom in Santa Barbara and, they were musicians together and then they wanted to get out of there too. I think even then maybe they were being priced out. And mm-hmm. so, um, I was born in Ventura, but we, I mean, I think of, I grew up in Napomo mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it was an acre of dirt that they transformed. And I think a lot of people had to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I remember the culture shock of moving here from, from LA. Yeah. So you did like, it later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we were, I was 12 and, mm-hmm. and it was, I was going into junior high so I had kind of just gained at least enough independence to ride my bike around town, mm-hmm. you know, with my, with my group of buds. So we were, you know, we were all into going to the mall and like going to movies and like just such the SoCal yeah. growing up experience. So then moving here, I was like, where are we? Like, what is this? I remember driving out Los Osos Valley Road for the first time on the way to Los Osos. There's nothing here. Yeah, and I was like, we're, this is like farmland. Like, where, mm-hmm. where am I, you know? And I actually, um, I kind of, I held on to that. I held on to the idea that that uh, there was just more stuff going on in Southern California until um, about after high school. And I, I, I left. I moved back down there. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. And I actually moved to Mission Viejo. Um, I and, cannot picture that, Jensen, like at all. Oh, is, yeah, it was not a good time for me. <laughs> no, I don't see that as being yeah. a great fit. Yeah, I just okay. I didn't I didn't I didn't realize I didn't appreciate the area for what it was yet. Yeah. You know? Um I had no context. I hadn't traveled much yet. I just thought, you know, Southern California is where the action is. Yeah. So I went back down and then realized that it, it was like it, it it made me realize how much I actually appreciated nature. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I um I worked at true value. And it was like my one and only retail job in my life. Just the mm-hmm. worst fit ever. Um, <laughs> but I was driving to work one day and I just like, I looked around and I was going down. I think it was Aliso Viejo. It's like a main drag through Mission Viejo. <clears throat> and I just realized that there was nothing that was not man-made. Yep. And I just felt super claustrophobic. And I was like, this is, this is weird. Like mm-hmm. people shouldn't live like this. And I'm not obviously like, there are people that love it. I, I get and it. And there's a lot of great stuff me. down there, yeah, but yeah. it's not, it's not my style. Either. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and, and later that day, I actually, I drove to the coast, uh, just so I could sit on a beach mm-hmm. and I just sat there for like a couple hours and I was like, okay, this is a sign. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do this. 
So, so did you come home? Yeah, I was down there for like nine months. Yeah, and came back. Um, and I like I went through the the process of you know do I retreat and go back home or do I try to make a go of it? You know, and and I was like I was ready to make a go of it. I'm not I don't quit easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just the whole the nature thing. I just I, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to deal with it. Hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I have to I have to like be in trees or standing on grass like mm-hmm. at least a couple times a week. You know, yeah. otherwise I just don't. I don't do well. I didn't realize that was kind of the genesis of where all that came from. Yeah. Did you ever do a job like scrubbing dishes in the back? Is that how? Oh, that's how I started. Okay. And where was that? Past stories and Los Osos. So that was my first, like my first real job. Okay. I I had like odd jobs growing up all the time, you know? Um, But the first job that I actually got a paycheck for uh, was Pastores Trattoria in Los Osos. Where was it? It's where um, Kuma is. Oh, yeah. not not even. I mean, do you call that Baywood? Barely. No, it's like the middle it's, of Los Osos. It's a weird, yeah. <laughs> weird little spot. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I, I um I washed dishes there and bust for on and off about seven years. Wow. Yeah, basically all through grammar school and most most of high school. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, grammar school. I'm sorry. Uh, junior high through high school. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, aren't there child labor laws? Yeah. No, I I started when I was 14. I started under the table, just wow. getting you know. Before, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't actually get a legit paycheck, um, I think like three years into it. Yeah. Like it was cash first and then I was getting like personal checks from the owner. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and then eventually I was like, Hey man, like can we make this legitimate? Like, you know? <laughs> Can I sign a W2? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think I was, you know, I was 17 by the time that happened or 16, 17, something like that. Did you graduate Morro Bay high school? Yeah. So wait, didn't Grace graduate there too? No, she, um, she went, let's see, she was in Seattle when she graduated. So they moved here from Santa Barbara. Um, and I think they went to Morro Bay for one or two years. Yeah. Actually, I didn't, I didn't meet her at school. I didn't think so. No, no. Um, I actually met her at Pastores when she came in with her boyfriend at the time who also worked with me. Oh, that was the first time I ever ran into her. Um, and then just crazy coincidence serendipity i don't know um she worked at the inn uh next to the the next restaurant where i worked and so i saw her again and i was like oh hey i remember you you know yeah is that where la palapa is yeah exactly and so what was that restaurant that was mari blue that's right okay Mm -hmm. and so you you didn't own that but you worked with yeah yeah so that's that's where i worked when i came back from mission viejo okay basically I, i came back um and i had i had done a couple different things down there and like I said like bounce between retail and you know um things like that and and I was just drawn back to the restaurant mm-hmm. I just you know there uh I don't I'm not really sure why maybe it was familiar but um and I knew just like I just enjoyed working with the people working with food you know so mm-hmm. it just didn't seem like a job really yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so when they when they first opened I I went in and um because I had worked in the kitchen a lot up to that point. I just, I wanted to change and I asked if I could be a busser hmm. and the owner, it was, it was Jeff's partner was like, Oh yeah, come back, come back on Thursday. We're opening, you know, you can, you can work the floor. And I came back and I walked in the door and the first thing he said to me was like, Hey, our, um, <laughs> our garbage didn't show up. Can you work in the kitchen? I was like, okay. Yeah. Mm. And then I said, the only thing I don't want to do is wash dishes and classic like rook move that's exactly what i ended up doing that night <laughs> don't mention what yeah you yeah he do. was like yeah and i remember like towards the end of the night he's like uh yeah dishwasher needs to leave why don't you jump back there and i was like yeah. that was a pretty pretty solid lesson for me <laughs> mm-hmm. but you didn't have to keep doing that 
No, Did it was you? just that night. Yeah. You know? I, don't, I don't even know. Maybe they were trying to teach me a lesson. I don't know. Yeah. But it was the exact thing that, you know. How long were you at Mari Blue? Um, three, three or four years. Okay. So you worked, that. I mean, I find Jeff fascinating. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, he's and for context, guy. he's now owner chef at the range mm-hmm. and Rosalita or mm-hmm. Ro- is that right? Rosalita? Rosalina. I think. Rosalina. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and he's so fascinating. I would love to talk to him here, but there's no guarantee I'll be able to get a hold of him because he does <laughs> not have a cell phone. Yeah. Um, I think he has, yeah, I love that about him, but it does make him hard to reach. He doesn't have an email address. Yeah. He's, he's so off grid in terms of tech. He's not distracted by modern luxuries. No, he yeah. is not. So what was it like working with him? Um, that's, I think he taught me like singularity of purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, he, um, he was the one that made me realize that there's a legitimate career in, in restaurants that it's not just something you do on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, really early on, he was like, he just made me appreciate the craft. He, um, would bring me books. He'd like, you know, I mean, he showed me everything from like how to chop cilantro to, you know, the, showed me the classic mother sauces. I mean, he was like, mm-hmm. he was culinary school yeah, legitimately, you know, it, and he started with like the history of the profession, um, into like, you know, what, how it translates into, to modern restaurants. So it, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. He just, he, he showed me how to appreciate what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, without, without that, I don't, I don't think I ever would have made that my career. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. Just, he just really made me appreciate it. Did he go to culinary school? Do you know? Uh, I think, no, I think he was trained in the army. The, okay. Yes. But he's just, um, he's got that singularity of purpose mm-hmm. for sure. He's the kind of person who would teach themselves, or, you know, or come up through the ranks and, and teach another person. Yeah. I, I think, I think, I think the army probably there was probably some historical context there. There's probably like, um, you know, I didn't go to culinary school, so I can't say for sure, but I would guess that it's a dramatically different experience, you know, being taught in the army than it is being taught at culinary school. Yeah. So, um, however that, however that translated to him, he, you know, I think that changed the way that he instructed people, mm-hmm. you know, um, that one of the most humble guys I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big, big piece of it. Yeah. You know, um, he was like, he would always, he was always doing new things. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always experimenting. Um, but his, you know, the, he didn't experiment on the customers. Like the, the things that are on his menu are, are just really good. And they're, Solid. you know, like, yeah, they, they don't, he doesn't deviate much mm-hmm. as, far, as far as that's concerned. Um, and I think it's by design. He's just like, you know, he wants to make sure that the, the stuff he's putting out is, is as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he'll, he'll do specials and things like that, but it's funny that you say that because I, it's true. There's just I, no ego, you know, there's no like, yeah, he, none. Yeah. It's not, it's like he, he's like not trying to prove his acumen. That's what it seems like to me. His, you know? uh, the menu at the range, like you said, there will be specials and there'll be seasonal and everything, but the menu doesn't, I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but I've, I've eaten there a lot of times and mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of variation on the menu, which I fully respect. Yeah. Actually, I have, I have no problem with that, especially now it's become so cliche to have, you know, fresh seasonal, you know, abundance and, and that's great. But what he focuses on the things like his coffee crusted ribeye is it is 
so dependable mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah, it's because everything's consistent. Yeah. Yeah, his um, his menu has always been um, really thought out. There's nothing nothing there that isn't used at least one other time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a chef chef's menu. Yeah. You know that he's not playing around. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and he does like I said, he does specials. He does seasonal specials, but it's not the foundation of his menu. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do you get to see him very often? When I go there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite. Once or places. twice a year, you know. Yeah. Right. Once I, or twice a year. I wish I could go more, but and it's you know. It's not the restaurant. It's just me. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. get out too much anymore. You know. I know. Do you get yeah. to go out very often at all? Uh, yeah, but we don't. We don't go too far from home unless we're traveling. But um, we did at Goshi a lot. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just again very dependable. It is <laughs> so know? dependable. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. So, but there's a stint in there where you went to Cal Poly. Yeah. So I was at Cal Poly from. Oh gosh, I'm not going to think of the years. Not straight out of um, high school, though. No, I took two years off and traveled. Yeah. So I was 99, 2000, 2001. So like, oh, and I, and I was at Quest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had like eight years worth of college. <laughs> Classic plan. I, th- I, think, I think like three of them were at Cal Poly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, basically, I, you know, I was working and going to school pretty much the whole time other than the, the two years right out of high school. Mm-hmm. And I just goofed around. That's yeah. when I moved. I moved down to Mission Viejo went to Europe with my friend, um, went to Spain after that, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of got some stuff out of my, mm-hmm. out of my hair. It's important. Yeah, it's it was, super it was, important. It was really important. I was not mature enough to go to college. Yeah. Right out of high school. I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> I look at these students, um, that I've been teaching. They, I taught, um, 18, 19 year olds this last quarter and they are so wonderful and they are such they're so optimistic and they want to work hard. I was so impressed with them. But how in God's name do you know what you're going to major in when you're 17? Because they have to declare before yeah, I think that's they're even accepted. Insane. It yeah. is. Yeah. I, yeah. Like the, yeah, I feel like college is asking a lot of the person. I mean, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, financially. And I don't see how you can make an educated decision at 17. I can't see it either. Yeah. Like I, I did it 19 and I don't even think it was a great decision. You yeah. know, I mean, it was good. Like, don't get me wrong. You know, my, my college experience was great uh, and I got a lot out of it, but I kind of wish I could do it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I wish I could have worked, <clears throat> worked 20 years mm. and then decided what I wanted to specialize in. You, you know? got a lot out of it, but do I remember correctly? You did not get a degree out of it. No. Yeah. I, I left, um, I left my senior year to open Papillon. Right. And you were so close to graduating, I think, right? Yeah, I had, I mean, that was kind of the thing. Um, basically I had all of my units done. I was going to have to go back for one quarter to, to do my senior project. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was like my senior project. And I think, I think a couple of electives and I just didn't think it was worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I always, always think like what I've made that decision again. Um, I'm not sure, but I felt like I had the opportunity to do something that at a young age Mm -hmm. that I thought was more important than going back to to finish my senior project yeah well then you had an opportunity I mean that was kind of a real life opportunity I think it was like the combination of having the opportunity but then also having it at a young age yeah you know I was 20 26 when we opened Papillon and that's and and we opened it in like yeah and we opened it in three months yeah so it was like and it was actually like we opened we opened the week that I walked 
So I still like did the commencement ceremony. They were like, okay, oh, we'll go, did. yeah, go do the ceremony and then come back. And can, I was still really on the fence mm-hmm. um, about whether I was going to go back or not. Um, and so basically that summer is when I decided not to, cause I was like just consumed by the restaurant. Yeah. You know, and it, I had kind of assumed that that would happen. So it was, you know, I was thinking about it, but it took, it took over the summer to process whether it was going to be, you know, a reasonable thing to do or not. And just a ton of fights with my family. And, oh. you know, fortunately I paid for my school. So it wasn't, you know, it was ultimately that is my fortunate. decision. <laughs> what, and but what did you study? Political science. You know, it was, yes. it was a pre-law focus. Was it constitutional law? Do I remember that right? Some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you do a little bit of everything. In, well, in I thought that was what you wanted to do, though, was something having to do with. I, I mean, I didn't know. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I was um, I enjoyed the topic of political science and uh, I've always been a decent writer, mm-hmm. decent speaker. Um, so just I think my, you know, the things that I was good at were were, were valuable in that. Yeah. In that topic and that subject Mm -hmm. you know a little bit of history um i i also kind of got in trouble enough as a kid to know that i wanted to to know my my rights so (laughs) to defend yourself some yeah some internal motivation as well yeah um but basically it was like poli sci is kind of a spinoff of philosophy you know that in like in more usable ways i guess Mm -hmm. like you, you know but i I was always a fan of philosophy. I just didn't see a lot of practical application to it. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to study in this style, mm-hmm. I want it to be something I can use. Yeah. Um, and that, that's basically that's what political science was. Yeah. You know? I just, I, this morning listened to the most recent, this American life, mm-hmm. um, episode and somebody on there is talking about the beauty of the constitution and mm-hmm. it was so incredible. I just have, I have a lot of respect for that document. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were saying, I'm taking this conversation totally different direction. But they, she was just saying, um, she was quoting Frederick Douglass talking about how, yes, the Constitution was built actually upon slavery mm-hmm. and the, the concept of slavery. But um, it is strong enough and more than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. enough to actually overcome that, to actually give outs for things like that or you know, respecting the dignity of every human being is part of the constitution. And so anyway, I guess I'm just saying that I could see, I can see the beauty of that document and, and, you know, declaration of independence, bill of rights Mm -hmm. in relation to philosophy Mm -hmm. and the dignity of every person, sociology, Mm -hmm. um, anthropology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my big takeaway from political science was actually the power of writing. Hmm. You know, the, yeah. like the, the, the ability for somebody to articulate on a piece of paper some really complex thoughts um, well enough to have a large, or, you know, a large enough group of people just agree and sign everything. Yeah. I mean, that's like the foundation of this government is basically, or the foundation of this country is like people agreeing on something that was written yeah. down, essentially. Yeah. Contentious, though. I mean, it was hard oh, yeah. for them. No, that, well, that's what I mean. You, like, they were able to articulate it in a way mm-hmm. that was at least good enough for them all to agree on, you know, the primary points that's know, pretty mind-blowing to me you know it is like you, you try to try to you know write in write an email convincing somebody to to be on time <laughs> and it's like hard enough you know like i, I can't imagine um anyway having the weight of an entire nation on you to, i know. You know i know totally so. um i know that you love to read mm-hmm. what's the last thing that you read that was really good oh gosh one of the, the one of the best books i've ever read actually mm-hmm. um and it was super short and kind of a different style it's called the war of art what is that yeah um 
you'd have to look up the author. I can't think of his name right now, but he actually wrote um, The Legend of Bagger Vance as well. Oh, yeah. Gosh, what's his name? Anyway. Is The War Google of it. Art, is that um, fiction? So so it's kind of. It's, it's like, it's his way, and I think it's the only book he's written like this, but it's basically his way of not being a slacker writer mm-hmm. and, and it's like all these tools for just getting the work done hmm. and, um, really practical to it's, it's actually half like just don't be a slacker and do your work. But the other half is really usable. Like exercises. Yeah. Um, really? <clears throat> basically like he, he uses the phrase resistance to, to be essentially anything that distracts you from your goal of whatever you're trying to write, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and this is, I mean, he does it in the context of writing, but you could, literally use it for any whatever goal. your thing is yeah yeah um so essentially like any time wasting activity is resistance and you know the more you look at life and like the amount of resistance that takes you away from your goal the oh more you gosh. realize how much distraction there are there are how much how many distractions there are in your life mm. um and I, I don't know i could say more but i would i would say if if you've ever struggled with procrastinating especially being a writer um, no, or, or never, just, or, yeah, never, I know, never, I'm sure. <laughs> or, or, or really just anything like any, any type of goal you're trying to accomplish. Um, I would highly recommend this book. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good plug. Um, are you writing right now? Uh, yeah. Well, I just finished a, um, an article for edible for the, you did. the new oh, one. Yeah, good. The, a perspectives piece. And what's it about? Can I ask? Yeah. Um, I think when does it I'm come sure out? It's fine. Yeah. Um, well it's, it's the, the topic she gave me was, um, Actually, she said it was, it was going to be the effect of food on your health. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I'd rather write about the, the idea of mental health within the industry of the hospitality industry. Get out of, you know, what's so funny about that. She asked me to write, um, a tribute to Anthony Bourdain. Oh, cool. And I, but I ended up talking a lot about mental health oh. and she said, I'm going to have to cut this one section about mental health because somebody else wrote about it. Oh, sounds like we have a cohesive no, <laughs> topic. But it's That's totally cool. okay because I actually even considered taking that section out. It didn't feel, it felt a little deviant from what I was trying to say about him. It took the focus off of him, I uh-huh. think. So anyway, but go on. Yeah, well, so, so basically <clears throat> um, she asked if I would write on the topic of food and nutrition and, and health. And, and basically what I said was I, I'm not an expert by any means. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't feel comfortable writing about that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I could, I could research it and cite as much as I want, but you know, I said, I thought, I thought there's, I think people should know about, you know, the mental toll that working in the industry takes on, on, mm-hmm. on people that are in, in the industry. And it's something that's not talked about very much. Yeah. Like I've had some, some conversations in confidence with, with, with people that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so basically I, I wrote an open letter um, that's kind of like that's communicating to someone in that situation, mm-hmm. but hopefully in a way that is something that's not in the industry can understand that, you know, what, what you go through. Can I ask, is that something that you've dealt with? Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you mind talking about that? No. How sure. did that, how, when did you, I, cause I mean, I've had my own struggles uh-huh. and I find it really interesting to look back on what was the moment when I knew it wasn't just um, like a phase or mm-hmm. just a mood passing. Mm-hmm. When did you know that there was something more serious going on? Well, I, I guess I should start with I. You know, I fortunately have I've never experienced like a breakdown or anything like yeah. that. Um, 
but I think I, I did experience just the long, like the, the effects of long-term stress, Yeah, you know? Um, and you know, it was everything from not sleeping well to just generally feeling unhealthy, um, lethargy. I mean, just all of the signs of just having a life with too much stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I guess, you know, um, it's something you get used to, you know, cause I started, I was 14 when I started working in a kitchen. I remember it, it's kind of shocking, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a hard environment. Like the, the lights, the sounds, you know, you're, you know, I, I was a dishwasher, so it's just, it's dirty. It stinks. Yeah. Like you, I'm picturing a 14 year old yeah, too. It's, like, it's, have you seen one lately? Yeah, They're young. Right, right. So, <laughs> so like right out of the gate, you're kind of shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point you just submit to the environment. Um, but then as you're, as you're working through it, you, you know, you, you end up doing things to cope, you know? Um, and obviously I wasn't like, I wasn't drinking as a 14 year old, yeah. but I would, you know, whatever, go out and party after with my buddies or, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, just different, all, all kinds of different things. Um, and then as you, as you get older, you tend to cope in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously like drugs and alcohol are a big part of it. Um, fortunately mm-hmm. I, you know, again, you know, I, I never went too far down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. but enough, you know, enough to know that, um, that I was using those things to cope. Um, and, and there's also like, there's just the, the culture of the restaurant. Like it's, it's about food and drink. Yeah. Right. So it's really easy to take for granted the amount of food and drink you're, you're surrounded by. Yeah. And so it's almost like, it's almost weird if you're not having beers at the end of the night, mm-hmm. you know, or if you're not like, it's, it's kind of, and I don't want to say there's like this machismo thread, but that's for sure part of it. Like how much can you deal with? How much can you take? That's absolutely. Um, I mean, from what I understand, that's totally part of it's, it. Yeah. It's only part though. Cause it's like, you have to, you almost have to be, durable to make it yeah it's almost like you you can't act that way you know like i don't care how much how macho you think you are if if you're not at least at some level you're just not going to make it right so and i don't care whether you're a male or female yep you know there are some hard hard women and men that i've worked with Mm -hmm. and it's like they were probably hard before you know and they're hard now and that's why it's it's working you know yeah but it's almost this calcification working yeah that's what i'm saying yeah yeah it's like you 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 build yeah you build calluses you build scars mm-hmm. you know i mean literally and fig- figuratively and for better or worse right yeah, yeah. i remember the, the first time the first time i can remember burning my hand um actually wasn't the first time but it was the first time i kind of said something about it i grabbed a pan and it was like the third or fourth time i did it that night and i was like god i'm can i swear on this you can yeah, swear i'm fucking sick of burning my hand i just said you know yeah. I said it like that and my chef looks at me and he goes well then get out and i was like yeah. oh yeah okay yeah. that's right I'm here. And like, you this didn't is my get choice. out. No, because, and that was, that was kind of like, that was a moment to me where I was like, okay, I'm choosing to be here. You know, I'm subjecting myself to this, to this environment. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to be, he could find someone else. I can find another job, you know? Yeah. So, so it's, that's like, it's that on a daily basis. You're like, okay, I'm, am I okay with it? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Am I going to show up tomorrow? Yes or no. You know? Um, but then eventually everything just gets normal. Yeah. So all of those things go away. You're not even thinking about it anymore. You're just like going through the process. And isn't it muscle memory so much of it where you can oh, kind of so just so much. And and that's like I think <clears throat> you know, I can I can talk like this, but then I can also I can also talk about how how valuable it all was and yeah. how I would never change anything and I would do it again, you know, um because mm-hmm. it's it's back to that singularity of purpose. Um 
if you have if you have a purpose and if you have a drive, it almost doesn't matter what you're doing. You're gonna it's you're gonna learn valuable things about yourself and about you know the world and about other people. Um, I mean, I no exaggeration learned ten times working in kitchens than I did at in college. Yeah, I believe you that. know ten or twenty times. I mean, I yeah, you know more about you know working with different individuals, more about um, you know the my you know the amount that I can take, the amount I can't take, like, you know, mm-hmm. you learn your, um, yeah, just, you just kind of like learn what you're worth. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're doing something super unique. You're like, cooking food for other people to eat, yeah. you know, which is kind of magical in and of itself. Yeah. You know, um, you're nourishing their body, but you're also giving them enjoyment and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, like you're, you're a mental an, respite, creating an environment, you know, all, all the things, um, so, and I, and I've actually, I've often thought that it seems like, it seems like the, like the harder it is to, or the, the more you're trying to create that environment, that magical environment for people, the more it requires of you, mm-hmm. like the more you're giving away, you know, like, um, whether you're trying to be more and more creative every day, you know, cause that's, I mean, you know, I, I came from a fine dining background, so we're, we're constantly trying to like figure out different ways to impress you with food basically, yeah. you know, and it's exhausting. I'm thinking about music and the fact that somebody will say like, you know, how many more combinations of these 12 tones can you possibly come up with? And yet it continues. Right. It keeps going. Right. And I think about food, like how many combinations, what is next? And turns out there's always something next. There's always a way. Yeah. And again, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the process. That's part of the, the, that's part, that's one of the most enjoyable things is you never learn it all. Like, like I, people people say all the time oh you you know you were a great chef or are a great chef i don't think so like i i'm like mm-hmm. no i know i know a little bit about one area and i was good at that one area because i made it all it was mine but step outside of that box and i, I don't know anything you know you know um, it, so along endless learning you know? along those lines i mean i'm thinking about also what you said about um the long term effects of stress did you see that i mean we haven't even talked about owning your own businesses and what those effects, you know, you weren't just under somebody else's banner, oh, yeah, but that, you were actually the boss. That doubles it. Yeah. Or, or more. Yeah. yeah. Cause then you're, <clears throat> yeah. Then you're not just showing up to a job. Then you're responsible for a bunch of people that are showing up and feeling all these things, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so you feel really responsible for someone that is clearly stressed out, but you kind of have to convince them to show up the next day. Yeah. That's brutal. How old were you, you know? when you opened the cast house? 20, 26 or 27, something like that. So again, like way too young to be dealing with that kind of stuff or kind of, I don't know. I say that, but then I think, okay, but guys to go to war when they're 18. So maybe you're not too young, this but is true. maybe you're young enough. Like, I, I yeah. don't know. Um, but, but yeah, you're, that's, it's, it's pretty early to like, to deal with the responsibility of, of, having other people that are looking, looking to you to make decisions. Yeah. You know, that was really hard because, because well, again, the whole time I thought like, well, what do I know, yeah. you know, really, I'm just here trying to do a job like everybody else, you know, but then you realize, no, you have to, you have to at least pretend you know what you're doing. Do you think that you, know? you were, I mean, this is a weird question, but I mean, I'm picturing you couldn't have been too underconfident because you must've been at least 51% confident I was confident to enough open to do it. it. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I think that's like, that's a weird personality thing in and of itself. Like not like of the amount, think of the amount of people that work in restaurants, what percentage go on to like open their own yeah. or to, or to even be, um, 
you know, I don't know, like manager types, mm-hmm. like kind of a small percentage. And there's, you know, I think there's a hundred different reasons for that. Um, but I think the biggest one was I just, I took it, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I'll do that. And, and, and I think the, um, I was very attractive, attracted to just being able to, to create the environment like yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. You know, like I worked, fortunately I worked for amazing people. I kind of saw what I thought it took. Um, and I got to the point where I was, yeah, like at least confident enough that I could, I could do my own version of that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was definitely not without its peaks and valleys. Yeah. I, uh, for a long time, I just, I just emulated people that I admired, yeah. you know, like, um, Papillon was basically just like kind of a spinoff of Mari Blue. So, so was know? everything kind of French inspired? That was the, yeah. So there. like, yeah, that's, it's kind of an interesting trajectory Mari blue was french italian mm-hmm. papillon was like french american mm-hmm. um but because because jeff and his partner basically his partner ron basically taught me everything i knew i just thought that that was what cooking was so huh. like when i when i opened papillon i was just i was essentially just cooking all the same recipes but <laughs> this just is in, what we do in my way yeah, yeah and didn't realize that there's this whole other world of you know of styles and techniques out there yeah um so that was kind of an eye opener when I realized that like, oh, there, there are multiple ways to whatever, braise a shank yeah. or, um, you know, <laughs> Caesar dressing isn't the only salad dressing, you what? know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and it, this is real. Like, you know, I, I had no idea because I had such a small, um, such a small introduction to it. Um, what was the, uh, I'm, I mean, I know from dining there, uh, what the cast house offered, but I mean, what was your take on what that style was? Well, yeah. Okay. So then. Taking that even further, when I realized at Papillon that basically I didn't know anything, you know, I only knew what these other people had shown me. Uh, it was kind of a light bulb moment and I was like, okay, I need to, I need to educate myself. That's when I started just crazy consuming cookbooks and trying mm-hmm. new things and doing a lot of, a lot of experimenting. Um, I did a, I had a friend who worked at um, Cyrus and Heldsburg, mm-hmm. which I, which at the time I think was a, a two star, two Michelin star. And it was such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and, and he hooked me up with a stage there. Oh, and really? Yeah. I got to, got to work there for like three or four days. Um, mm-hmm. So not very long, but it was plenty long for me to figure out how much I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting part about Cyrus was I realized that they were using, they were using the same techniques that I was using. So it was, it was very traditional preparations but they were they were like presenting and plating and they created an atmosphere that was so far beyond what I'd ever seen mm-hmm. that I, I realized okay if I if I can nail the fundamentals then I can kind of do every anything because yeah. then from there it's just it's just create it's just fluff it's just creativity it's mm-hmm. you know uh, it's managing the environment you know it's what you're put it's the plate that you're using it's the garnish that you're using it's the way that your servers present things it's the the lighting the music like yeah. all those things but like you have to nail the fundamentals mm-hmm. and that's what they were doing yeah so it kind of gave me a new metric mm-hmm. so then i went back to papillon scrapped the menu just you know totally started from scratch like brought it all the way back to like the things i had learned first really basic techniques and we just started focusing on like just doing really basic things well mm-hmm. and and that was that was groundbreaking. It like, hmm. it changed the way I, I approached food. Um, then we, we did that for about a year. Um, did and got, people got accept comfortable. that? Because I know people loved Papillon. I, yeah. I think, you know, it's funny because <clears throat> I think that's when it got really good. Mm-hmm. It was almost like it gave me direction. Yeah. Um, like 
using the confines of forcing myself to use the confines of classic technique gave me the necessary um, direction. You know, mm-hmm. so it like, and I always say like, I, I have to think inside of a box for me to be creative. It's, it's, that is so it's true. It's like, otherwise I'm just lost. Like, that I, is you know. so true. So that, that was like the first time I did that. Um, yeah. And then, and so then by the time we got to the cast house, uh, we had like some basic, the fundamentals dialed. And, and I actually, I brought most of my team from Papillon. So we were kind of on the, on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, specifically in the kitchen, it was like mostly the same guys. So we kind of just, we kind of just progressed to the next step, which at the cast house was, it was just more presentation. It was mm-hmm. more, you know, it was more focused on, we refined the atmosphere, mm-hmm. the, the environment more. Um, but the food was just a continuation of what we were doing at Papillon. Mm-hmm. And then we just, we just dialed that in over the next seven years, yeah. you know? Um, and, and towards the end, we had even scaled it. I'd even taken like, created more boundaries for our, for our team. Um, you know, by the time we were doing a tasting menu, you know, we like weren't, you know, it was all gluten free. Everything could be changed oh, really? to, everything could be changed to vegan, like every course. Wow. Um, we just, I, like I kept putting these, these boundaries on what we could do, mm-hmm. which made us more creative. It like made us think harder about what and we it, were doing. It probably wasn't for health reasons either. Was it? No, I mean, not entirely. No. Um, we just, we were doing, we were doing a tasting menu for a while. And at first, um, at first, you know, it was, it was just a huge pain when, when somebody like, you know, a vegan, for example, mm-hmm. would show up mm-hmm. and we'd have to just like completely scrap everything. And then it was the gluten-free yeah. era and every, every other person was gluten-free. So we had to like make <laughs> adjustments. Um, and I think one of the big ones, uh, well, one of the, one of the big reasons I, I made this change was our, our walk-in went down one day. Um, and we lost everything and mm-hmm. we basically had to create a menu from scratch that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it ended up being a really good, a really good menu. And, and I recognized that it was, it was because it was because we had to start over. We had to get creative. We like, we, we didn't have the tools that we normally had. Yeah. So then I, I kind of coupled that with all the dietary things that we were seeing with the tasting menu. Yeah, like said, how many I, boundaries I said, could you put on this well, thing? Well, Sheesh. and that's, yeah. And that's, and that's what I did. Um, but I knew I had seen the way that my team was responding to, to these different challenges. Yeah. And every time somebody, you know, gave us a new challenge, like whether it was gluten-free or, or no butter or no salt or mm-hmm. something, we'd come up with something that was great. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm going to force these restrictions. Mm-hmm. And then that's what our menu, that's what our tasting menu is going to be. So, you know, it was like everything was gluten-free. Like I said, everything could be changed to vegan by just making f- certain tweaks, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so again, that's, you know, this this progression of this craft up to the point where I had to start forcing um, constraints yeah. as a way to become more creative. Yeah. That's when we got amazing. Like it, it was the best then. That's not only true in like art, uh, art forms. We've talked about this before. We, the more, the, the smaller and more narrow that hallway becomes, the more um, exuberant and um, you know, beyond something becomes. But it also is true, I think, in life. And um, I mean, I don't know if I would call it spirituality or just, you know, a a purpose in living. Mm -hmm. I meditate in the morning. I exercise in the morning. I do all of this before my family wakes up. And it might sound um, 
might sound like I'm either being hard on myself or like I'm, you know, um, legalistic or like self-flagellating, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Right. But the truth is, with those constraints on my life, things blossom. Yep. So do you have a practice? I mean, like every day, yeah. some kind of a practice yeah, that absolutely. helps you do that? Yeah, I, th- I think, I mean, just to to carry on what you what you were saying, I, th- I, I truly believe that that's how humans, like that's how we thrive. Yeah. You know, we're... Like our brains are so amazing. They're capable of so much create, creative, amazing things. If you're just like left to your own devices, you're going to, you're going to go down the mental rabbit hole yeah. in one way or another. Um, and we're not designed like we're, we're hunter gatherers. We're, de- we're designed to have purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're designed to wake up when the sun comes up and go to sleep when it goes down. Yeah. And while it's up, go out forage and bring food back and be fruitful. Yeah. Take mm-hmm. care of your family. Right. Yeah. That's, it's pretty simple. Right. But modern the modern day has messed all that up yeah. like we don't really have to do any of that like, do you have to get up i mean maybe mm-hmm. do you do you have to cook no i'd love do you, do you have to get up maybe <laughs> kind of, i mean kind of like i mean even like i have this bottle of water here yeah even, right. even that just kind of blows me away i just i have water wherever i want Safe whenever water. i want Safe, mm-hmm. yeah like just that right yeah. um so yeah i think i think in our modern lives like if you don't impose restrictions on yourself to to help to 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 make your, your day, um, more productive, mm-hmm. then you're just going to, you flail like, you know? Um, so yeah, I have, uh, I have a practice. I, I wake up, um, uh, between five and five thirty. um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I do like some pretty serious cardio, mm-hmm. um, the rest of the week. Are uh, you a runner? No. Okay. No, I do like hit training. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Just body weight stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, about three times a week I do jujitsu. Uh, yeah. Is that was, a new thing? Yeah, in like within the last year. How has yeah, that been, been for, for you? About seven or eight months. Uh, it's amazing. It's so intense. I love it. Yeah. My son, actually, my son and my daughter both did it for a time, and wow, that is talk about. I mean, you just gravitate toward things that are. Well, I, w- I was a wrestler in high school, okay. and and I I was I always I always played sports, but it wasn't until I found wrestling that um I found a sport that fit. I don't know, it just fits my capacity. You know, mm-hmm, it, um, mm-hmm. I liked. I like the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. I like not having to to worry about what teammates are A doing. Team, yeah. um, I like the speed of it. You know, it's just rounds. You're not mm-hmm. standing around very much. Um, the the prep for a wrestling match is nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like you, it's like the, and, oh, and I just like that it was. It's kind of like the original sport. You know, yeah. it's like what hand to hand. What more can you do? Yeah, yeah. right. So, so I, I I was kind of already um, geared towards it from from enjoying wrestling. Um, but then as an adult, it actually, it actually went back to my thoughts about like, maybe, maybe there's something inside me that is combative. And if, and if I'm not letting it out, then it's probably going to express itself in other ways that aren't productive. Yeah. So I just experimented with it. I was like, well, you know, I think jujitsu is a pretty good way to figure that out, yeah. figure out whether it's, whether there's this thing in me, you know, and I call it killing the demon. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I go in there and it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life physically and and it feels like I'm walking out of church every time I leave. Yeah, it's like that's it feels not like, uncommon. Yeah, it feels like I got a blessing, and now yeah. the day's good. And and I just I I feel like there's you know, and I don't know if it's um if it's a uniquely human thing or if all animals experience it or men or women. I don't know, but like there's definitely um there's an aggressive side of me that that I have to exercise. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. like I have to exercise my mind. I I, yeah. I I have to. And if I don't. Then I get super pensive. My anxiety levels go crazy, 
you know, and I get super pensive. I'm just picturing somebody's just like, oh, I'm super pensive. Yeah, just like right sit, I just like sit around, like think too much. Yeah, it's just you yeah. know, it's not it's not a productive way for me to, yeah. to live. Um, so anyway, um, I also I I feel like I mean we're talking about exercise, but we're also talking about exorcising a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I have to make something. I mean, that even explains this, like. I have to build something. I have to make something. And you're a natural entrepreneur. You and Grace both. That's part of who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm not making something, even if it's going poorly, although making something that's going poorly can really depress me, but (laughs) building something good is so constructive for me. Like you said, hunter gatherer, if I'm not making something, I'm super, I can get very down. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often wonder, is that, is that just my personality type? Like, is it just, are, are my, my creative pursuits necessary for me just because that's the type of person I am? Or, or is there, is there a piece of that in everybody? I'm, I'm not sure, yeah. you know, but I do know, I do know that that creative types always need a project mm-hmm. and it helps to, like I say, think inside the box for yeah. creative types. You yeah. know? And actually that's back to that book, um, the war of art. That's what it's about. It's like, it's like you're okay. You're, you're too creative to do this on your own. <laughs> mm-hmm. So here are some tools to actually like leverage your creative ability in a way that will be productive. Yeah. You know? Right. Um, it's, talk to me a little bit about, we haven't even talked about larder yet, but I mean, I was, I almost said when you were talking about some of the, you know, long-term effects of stress, mm-hmm. I know that you didn't necessarily close the cast house, um, because of your own decisions, mm-hmm. but you did end up in a way opting out of the lifestyle. Sure. You didn't get another job, you know, chefing somewhere. You didn't start another restaurant. Right. Yeah, I, I was, I was ready to do something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I still enjoy cooking. I still do private dinners. Um, I still do restaurant consulting. So I'm still, I'm still involved. Um, but I, I always had an odd respect and fear for the old chef. You know, like I, it was like on the one hand, I envisioned myself like being an old guy in his old amazing restaurant that everybody loved. And, and that was my thing. Mm -hmm. But then I was also super afraid of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just thought if that's the one, if that's the one thing that I do my whole life, like what am I going to be missing out on? Maybe it's the fear of missing out thing. I don't know. I think it's, I think it was deeper than that. That was, I, I thought that if I limited myself to just that, I would probably miss out on a lot of other passionate pursuits that I could also be good at, you know? Um, and I know there's a little bit of ego in there. Um, but I also just think that I don't think humans are specialists. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't think that we're meant to do one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the more I kind of, the more I kind of got in touch with, with what my creative energy was and what it is and what it has to be. Um, I realized that it's, it's not, it's not going to be long before, um, I'm not being creative in the way that, that I think is productive for me, which is, which is trying something, sinking in all the way, trying to get good at it, experiencing what it feels like to be good at it for a while. And then moving on to something else. Like that's, that's the way my creativity works. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a really difficult decision to make. Um, you know, because I, I, I had, I had several opportunities, um, after the, after the cast house, I just didn't think that like none of them were going to make me change in a difficult way. None of them were going to make me grow. You're a glutton it, for punishment. Well, it, I mean, the ch- the challenge for sure, but it's like the, 
I don't want to say I, I don't want to say it was, you know, I don't want to sound like I thought that I knew everything at that Mm -hmm, point, mm -hmm. but I knew what I would do going somewhere else. And I knew that I could do it. And I was worried that that would make me complacent and coasting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like, I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of not having to struggle. I'm afraid of not like having to basically having to struggle because I, because I know what personal growth comes out of that. Yeah. And I was worried that that wouldn't happen. Um, and just knowing, knowing how I am, like, I just, I just, I will sink myself into something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and actually I didn't even mention it, but we, we had a, we had a, our first child. I had my, my son. I was going to ask you about at, him. Like right around that same time. So I was like, I was like weighing these two things. Like, okay, do I continue doing what I'm doing and continue on my career? Um, or do I try to change my life in a way that maybe I could spend more time with family? Mm-hmm. And, and up to that point, I mean, I had never went to weddings, uh, never went to birthday parties. Um, and so again, thinking about this, like old chef, like how much of that stuff will he miss? Yeah. And I'm, then I'm like looking at my kid, like, okay, I can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, not to say that people don't do it because people totally do it. Yeah. They totally do. Like, of course. And, and, and a lot of people are successful at it. It just, I knew I wasn't going to be <laughs> like yeah. just me personally. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just entirely because of how, how much I like sink myself into stuff. Yeah. So, and now you have larder, which is, I mean, I don't think I quite realized how much, um, outdoor and hunting and I take, I think fishing also probably, right? Did yeah. Less, but yeah, okay. Less um, hunting. but like an outdoor lifestyle, you're kind of coming home in a way with, um, larder and what it does, mm-hmm. um, making that possible for other people to mm-hmm. have the, you know, the best, the freshest stuff and locally raised. Yeah. Larder was, I mean, I, one of the, one of the first things I did was, uh, I helped my, uh, my wife's aunt and uncle, uh, they own a pig farm in Bealton called Winfield farm. I helped them with outreach. They, they raise a, a breed of pigs called Mangalitsas and it's, it's a really particular breed. It's a large breed. Um, they're big woolly pigs. Um, so just not, not an average heirloom breed or not an average breed. They are an heirloom breed breed. Um, and they were, they were having a hard time just kind of like marketing their product and like, yeah. you know, talking to chefs about it and, and they're farmers and they knew that there's like a, there's, there's a disconnect when farmers talk about their product and the way that restaurant people hear it. Mm. Um, and it's, it's more or less like, I feel like farmers and ranchers have a hard time telling telling chefs how, how the product can be used unless they're just amazing cooks. And some are for sure. Yeah. Um, like Bill and Barbara from Winrose, they're, they're, they're amazing cooks. Here. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they're great. They're great at communicating with yes, chefs. Yes, they are. But like but not, not a lot of people is. are. No. Yeah. Not, not, not many people are like, are like them. Or even at promoting a product. I've found, yeah, I find thing. that winemakers are some of the worst. Like they just, they don't know how to talk about how amazing this thing is. They don't know how to talk about themselves. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't know how to sell themselves, sure, right? Like I, I, yeah. I struggle with that with my yeah. own company, like, you know, totally. So, so yeah, when I, I started with that, um, and, and basically, you know, we, we, we started, um, I started bringing some of the products home, uh, and, and Grace and I started talking about, well, maybe we can, maybe we can give, uh, some, some of these some of these, these portions to our friends. So the idea of like sharing, sharing, um, a whole animal kind of came up. Um, and then, then the idea of the CSA model came up. Um, and the more we thought about it, the more we were like, okay, well, if, if we want this, then I'm sure other people want this. And coming from a restaurant background, I already knew all these people. Um, and one of the things that 
honestly, one of the things that bummed me out the most about leaving the restaurant business was not being able to work with, with, with growers anymore. Yeah. Um, like not going to farmer's market, um, not having, not having an impact on, on their, their production yeah. was kind of a bummer, you know? So everything just kind of clicked. I was like, you know, we can bring these, we can create a business that brings all these products in similar to what a restaurant does, but then just distributes them straight back out so that home cooks can, can use them. But it's not as simple as that. I mean, you guys put together, there's, it's so beautifully put together. And I know, I know that you have a lot to do with it, but I also see grace all over that box. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a spice packet. It's risotto. It's, um, you know, beautifully written, um, and put together recipe cards and it's a whole system. Not only that, but it's the packaging is compostable Mm -hmm. and it's insulated and it shows up at your door. I mean, it's just so beautifully thought out. Um, Mm -hmm. and you've had a great response. I know. Yeah. It's been amazing. Yeah. Um, but then I'm also thinking, okay, so you've been doing that. You've been raising this little boy who's now not so little. Yeah. He's a five and a half. Yeah. What's he like? He's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a character. What's he into? Uh, he's really into Legos. Mm-hmm. He's really into, I, I think he's, <laughs> I don't want to put the cart before the horse here, but he seems to be more mechanically inclined than yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, he, he seems to be less, less into creative activities and more into like building activities. Uh-huh. Um, we, we redo them every night. So he really, he really likes, he enjoys reading. Um, he's like, he's learning. It seems like he's learning earlier than I would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's mostly through osmosis. We're not like, yeah. we're not really like sitting him down and doing the things, but he'll mm-hmm. point out words to me and I haven't taught him that, you know, and I yeah. know he's not doing it at school yet. So I, th- I think he's that, I think he's like that orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, he likes playing chess, which is cool. What? <laughs> you know, yeah. He's playing chess? Yeah. I, Lulu, uh, my daughter, we were on a flight home a couple days ago and there were games on the, you know, on the console that you can watch movies on. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to watch movies. She wanted to do Sudoku. I think you said yeah. it, right? And she wanted to do chess. Cool. And I, I had to sit there and teach her what all the different pieces do. And that child, they're their brains are so yeah it's crazy pliable. yeah it's crazy oh. yeah I, I didn't learn chess until i was about i was like, like 17 10. or 18 something like that yeah. and it was much harder for me than, than it has been for yeah him. right you know i i still i mean he, like i said he's only five and a half so i still have to coach him a little bit he gets he gets ambitious and wants to like just jump pieces across the, <laughs> the board <laughs> so i have to I have, to I have to like reel him in every once in a while but yeah, yeah he, he's totally getting it and he likes it mm. um so that's that's kind of kid he is he Likes riding a scooter. Yeah. Um, he doesn't like his bike because I think because the training wheels, he can't really move very yeah. fast. Yeah. And he's like frustrated with them. So I think I'm just gonna rip the training wheels off and push him down a hill. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's a character. It. Um, yeah. I don't know. Well, and you guys are, I, I think that a child will learn because their parents love something. If a parent loves something, a child sees their closest kin loving something and they they learn how to love things you know yeah it's beautiful yeah that's that's something i'm i'm starting to see now um you know he you know again through osmosis he he picks up on my interests Mm -hmm. um but but i can also tell that he's a very different kid than i was Mm -hmm. um he's 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 more stubborn than i was 
-hmm. you know, if he doesn't, and I I go back and forth between like whether I'm the parent and have to make him do certain things or Mm -hmm. whether, you know, he should be allowed to kind of do his own thing. Um, I, that's the daily, I know the daily struggle. And I have not figured that out yet, but, but I can just tell his like, you know, he's not, he's not a passive kid. Yeah. You know, he's, he's very actively, uh, actively minded. Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes, you know, he knows the things he likes. Yeah. He knows the things he doesn't like. It's, it's interesting. It's just, it's so different than I was. And you know? I, I just am constantly praying, may this serve them well. I know. Yeah. May yeah. this like awaken something in them that may, may they, please God, may they not be like the best drug dealer out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's going to be good at whatever he does, but yeah. please let it not be. Yeah. Yeah. Selling people weed. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. But that's that's parenthood. It's constantly like do how do do I tell him what to do or do I let him discover it? And right. Am I an authority figure or am I a buddy? It's so hard. Well all I all I can tell is that he he is like he's like the puzzle kid. Mm. You know, so I kind of think if life is gonna be his puzzle all I can do is kind of put a puzzle in front of him and like let him work through it. And that seems to be the way he works through, through things, yeah. you know, like, um, I mean the, the scooter, for example, like it, he was not into the scooter until he was, yeah. He had to like, he had to like mine. feel it out and like he had to, you know, push it around. He had to do, you know, it, and it, it's not like he, he wasn't like influenced by other people cause he's not surrounded by a ton of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just like one day he had just figured it out and then, yeah. Now he's good. And feel how know. good it feels. Right, right. The soaring feeling, yeah. yeah. Um, I ask everybody, uh, it's such a tired question, but I find that it's still worth asking, what's the last thing you would eat? Like, let's say you're in your hospital bed and you're going to die that day. What do you want us to bring to you to eat? Oh, my God. I know. It's so unfair. Don't tell me you haven't thought about this. I think about it. I thought about it a lot. <laughs> Just trying to give you a good answer. Um, it's not, it's never like one food for me. It's like the, it's, it's like the people I'm with. It's the, it's the experience. So like I, I would say it's, it would almost be like if there's a way <laughs> to just be in a room with everyone I love, yeah. then that's what it would be. I, like you can hand me an ice cream and I'd be stoked. Like it, it doesn't, <laughs> it almost doesn't matter. Like it's, yeah. I, I am attracted to what food does to people and it brings them together it like it forces conversation you know um so like if if i had to pick i don't know like well what's how about this what's an experience that what what's a meal that stands out for you and like if you could bottle that experience and relive it what would it be uh grace and i were in shirakawago which is a little alpine town in japan and we went into a mountain hut with a guy who was hand making soba noodles yeah. And it was just this old guy sitting over a steam kettle and I mean, it was magical. Yeah. So, and, and like we've, we've traveled a decent amount. So we've had a number of those kind of experiences, but that one definitely stands out. And again, though, I think, I think it was like, I, f- I felt blessed to be able to experience that with somebody else, with yeah. somebody that I loved. And yeah. so now we both have that experience, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I actually, re- I remember traveling, you know, prior to traveling with friends, like just traveling by myself and like all these, you know, cool things would happen, but because there wasn't somebody else there, I was like, you know, did mm-hmm. it even happen? It's like, a different experience. Yeah. yeah. So, sure. so it's just the, yeah, like the, the way that food brings people together. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what I would want to experience for on my deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I'm just remembering, I was going to ask you, um, you just went to, I saw that you went to 11 Park Madison recently. No, we went to Per Se. Oh, you went to Per Se. Yeah. Okay. How was that? It was great. Was it? Yeah, it was cool. Was it as superlative as, as everybody says it is? Uh, well, we sat, we sat in the, um, what do they call it? The, 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 the nosebleeds? No, no, yeah, yeah kind of <laughs> actually. Yeah, they, they call it the, uh, not the lobby, but the, there's like a, a slightly more casual. Like the lounge or something? Yeah, there's like a lounge area, yeah. Yeah. So we sat there, so I don't know if it was just kind of more casual service because of that. Yeah. Um, or not, but I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's an institution. Yeah. You know, um, I would say, I thought like, I thought I would be more blown away. Are you worried that but, Thomas Keller's going to listen? No, He's no, not no, 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 but, but I, but, um, like, because I mean, at this point, like, I mean, eating at the French laundry and any of Thomas Keller's restaurants was like, that was to me, that was amazing food for the yeah. longest time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I feel like I've, I personally built it up a ton, Yeah. you know, and I've never eaten the French laundry. So the closest I've, I've gotten, uh, to that is, is per se, but in between then, I've eaten at Narasawa in Tokyo and mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Osteria Franciscana in Milan. So mm-hmm. I've, I've had these like pretty crazy, amazing yeah. dining experiences at this point. Um, so to me, it was like I finally got to eat Thomas Keller food, mm-hmm. you know, and that was awesome. Yeah. You know, like I, I recognized all the all the things and yeah. like, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know, just to me, it was like exactly what I thought. It was, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. I loved it. That's awesome. Still want to eat at French Laundry, though. <laughs> totally. I wonder if I ever will. We, I, Jake and I have a history of going to kind of like the the Old Navy, not to the Gap, when we go to eat. Oh, yeah. Um, so we've yeah. eaten at Bouchon. Yeah. And I, I've had, I've dined at Chez Panisse, but it was in the cafe. Yep. Like, that's just, that's the only way we can do it. That's and I often idea. find that that's actually, my expectations aren't as high, mm-hmm. you know, and so I can actually relax and have a good time. That's like, I call that the one star experience. Yeah. Like, I've had so many amazing one Michelin star meals, like more than I can count. Yeah. But I've only had like a couple three star. Mm-hmm. And... I'm like, which one's better? I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how to qualify that. You yeah. Know? Again, it's about people and it's about yeah. ambience and it's about the experience. Yeah, so. exactly. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks again for listening to consumed special. Thanks to Chris Lambert who advised me and edited the show. Want to hear more? Visit let's get for more tasty interviews and news about upcoming episodes. And please share Consumed with a friend. The more, the merrier. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis.